0: It's Eminem time. We're back. Here's my voice. Here's the M&M voice all over again. Welcome. It is Sunday, December 3rd. We are almost at two months into the brand new hell, into the brand new horrors beyond our comprehension. That is the war uh, in Gaza. <clears throat> Dare I say the war in Gaza? People are being imprisoned in the West Bank, people are being bombed all over the region. If I catch you calling this the Israel-Hamas war, see me after class. We have a lot of talking to do. If I hear you calling this the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I'm calling your parents. We're not even having a meeting after school. I'm directly calling your parents. And if I catch you condemning Hamas, your Patreon Patreon subscription is bye-bye. Okay? Bye-bye. We're not dealing with this shit, folks. We are... Some would say principled on this program. We're a principled bunch, and I'm sure we're going to chat a little bit here and there about that. Do not worry. There's a whole episode on the way in the preliminary stages at this point. But today, we're going to talk about one of our favorite psychopaths, one of the premier bloodthirsty and uh, just rapacious human beings of the 21st century. Um, Many among his you know, in his class, I would say it's, it's hard to really pin one asshole down as like the worst guy, quote unquote. But if there is such a category, I think my two co-hosts here would agree that Henry Kissinger is at least in the conversation. Okay. If this were Skip and Stephen A and they were talking it out, it would be in the discussion. I know that for a fact. Um, let me just go ahead and introduce as usual, Sigmund Fraud Beg Guevara, it's Eminem. I'm Fidel Cash. Though we are talking Henry Kissinger. Rest in piss, you fucking bozo. Let's be clear. First of all, um, this is not a eulogy. This is not a um, you know, in remembrance of. This is sayonara. This is uh, rest in hell. You know, this is this is uh, th- let there be no equivocations. Um, we just wanted to talk a little bit briefly even about this absolute piece of shit this fucking monster who has led foreign policy in the united states pretty much since 1969 i think is when he first took office excuse me and uh, although he was only secretary of state for less than 10 years his legacy my god his legacy lives on so um we're gonna kind of just keep it sort of light read a couple articles just chat just chatting, you know. Um, who wants to go first? I got a couple articles here, folks. I got, um, I got a Washington Post article. If you didn't know, democracy dies in darkness. I did not know this, um, but apparently, democracy dies in darkness. Um, and somehow, the Washington Post is that that light in the dark. I doubt it. Uh, but I have an article from Washington Post. I have something from AP politico all of our favorites and i have an intercept article too intercept actually does decent reporting um what do you what do you all uh how, where do you want to start
1: um i have one from business insider that's just mm. henry Kissinger was so old he outlived one of the guys who wrote his obituary <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow it's a quick um one. let's start there Let, let's start there i like business insider is a good way to sort of you know ramp things up yeah
1: I I mean, I think he's, like, such a meme or his death is such a meme now that even, you know, the MSM, like, the Business Insider is getting on on the whole joke. But this motherfucker was so old, he was literally 100 years old, and he outlived one of his New York Times obituary writers.
0: (laughs) This is what I'm saying, a special monster. Like, only, I mean, if we accept the premise that only the good die young, and at this point, you can't dispute that with a guy like this dying at 100. Yeah, um, then it's very much in line with those that truism, I would say. You fucking mean,
1: outlived this New York Times reporter by 13 years.
2: Man. I, man. I don't want to cast aspersions before I've heard the obituary, but this might be Kissinger's only good kill. T- <laughs> 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 him Rare
0: him. W from Henry yeah. Kissinger. <laughs> Um, true that this might be the best hit, um, that, um, the Grim Reaper has done yet. Uh, the tactic, I mean, we were all waiting patiently, patiently, patiently for a very long time, but Grim Reaper always does come through and we thank him for that. This is the best kill. Um, I don't know. I mean, no, we're not going to speculate. This is the best kill in the last easily 10 years. I would say it's on the level of Margaret Thatcher. It's on the level of Ronald Reagan. It's on the level of. Uh, Bush, the father, um, no need for direct comparisons, but on the level. Um, <clears throat> so what does Business Insider, you know, our beloved newspaper uh, of the business community, what does what Business Insider have to say about old uh, Henry Kissinger?
1: Oh, not much. Just that he died on Wednesday, age 100. He lasted so long, he outlived one of the New York Times writers who contributed to his obituary. Um and this guy died at age seventy one in twenty ten of pancreatic cancer. Um, some of the other highlights: the other guy, this guy wrote an obituary of o- Osama bin Laden in twenty eleven. Wow. Um, Prudential. so Osama also outlived this motherfucker. Like he just mm-hmm. seems like he had bad luck. Yeah. Um. But. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much it it's just you know all these other like fawning long obituaries about oh he was such a complex figure or he was such a giant in, you know american politics um but it is funny that the business insider is just like man this motherfucker was old he was old <laughs> as shit <laughs> yes.
0: yeah not much else to really say besides just like damn this motherfucker old it yeah. was time
1: and then one of the articles like at the bottom, you know, where it's like read next or like all related. <laughs> the headline is at 99, Kissinger worked 15 hours a day and flew around the world on business trips. Like what was he even doing at that oh, point?
0: God. And... Yeah. Like how how is the how is he capable of this? I mean, um, I guess if we're going to give him credit for anything, it's his mobility at 100. I mean, look at, you know, Lord Biden. Holy fuck. I mean, we're we're I think we are kind of getting. Did, we did are approaching see? something
2: what's did even more see? remarkable is like his mobility given his body type like have yes. you seen did
0: you see him he looks literally like danny devito's penguin from like the <laughs> like the batman dude he had um you probably remember this sigmund you probably remember this the um those charts of like um how obesity is distributed mm-hmm. probably learned this in medical school too like the uh, apple core obesity yes. <laughs> or the apple yeah. shaped obesity yeah, i mean fair yeah it it was I mean he should be in the textbooks I mean dare I call him a short king because there's nothing king about him but uh, I'm pretty sure his wife was like eight feet tall at least relative to him <laughs> yeah. he oh, was yeah. a fucking <laughs> giant this dude she was
1: like six feet tall yeah like
0: that that famous photo
2: of Mal, like pointing yes. <laughs> like, looking at his wife like <laughs> yeah him just like oh, yeah. the
0: fuck and like he... so that's your wife dog yeah
2: yeah and then looking at just... like a walking fupa like
0: Jesus <laughs> 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 yeah he was uh you know vertically challenged i i want to empathize with the guy as another uh short king but no we got nothing in common if that's the only thing we have in common i'm fine with that i'll take it
1: did you see joe biden's statement for uh henry C- kissinger's death
0: what was, it was it? like
1: oh when i was a young senator he gave me advice <laughs> on how i should be in politics and like this motherfucker is so old joe biden was at the beginning of his political career when he was already a fucking secretary of
0: state. God, it seems like Biden like stretches beyond space and time. Like it seems like he's been a Senator for like 150 years or something. Like he's always been around somehow. Um, <clears throat> well, that's a, excuse me. That's a, I'm still getting over COVID for all our listeners at home. So you'll excuse <coughs> my, um, you know, phlegmy and disgusting voice, but um, that's a decent segue. Uh, Speaking of Biden and um, Henry Kissinger's tenure as uh, Secretary of State, um, I would like to briefly discuss uh, specifically his kind of strategy in the Middle East with regard to Israel, Palestine, Gaza, West Bank, etc. I have an article here. Um, I'm going to read the Washington Post one. It was the first one that I really read out of this series. Um, Title... How would Kissinger solve the Israel-Hamas war today? Incrementally. (laughs) If you can guess what a liberal journalist, uh, how a liberal journalist would solve anything, and if you bet against incrementally, mm, I don't know about that. I mean, uh, basically, liberal status quo 101 is shut the fuck up. We're working on it. Um, only for you to wait your entire life and almost nothing to improve. So am I surprised that Henry Kissinger would solve the conflict incrementally? Not surprised at all. Also, ding number one, Washington Post calling it the Israel-Hamas war. What did I just fucking say, Washington Post? We're not calling it that, okay? We need
1: we need like a bingo card.
0: I know. We, we'll be, you know, we'll be wasted within five minutes if we played like a drunk <laughs> bingo with this.
1: But wouldn't Kissinger actually try to solve it with a fucking duke? (laughs)
0: Like, I mean, if he really had his way and there was, uh, I guess, no international opinion or or press uh, even to theoretically hold him accountable, probably. Um, But I think what they mean by incrementally, like when we get into the article, what they mean is we're going to sit on our hands as long as possible and solidify the status quo so that people forget about it and move on. That is what they mean by incremental, not incremental improvement, but let's wait as long as we can. This has been Israel's one of Israel's um, chief strategies, I would say, since 1948 is to solidify and normalize what's actually happening. So, um, this is by Martin Indike, Indic. Um, it's from November 30th. Um, Henry A. Kissinger trained his statecraft on the pursuit of order between states and the international system. He's therefore not usually remembered for his peacemaking achievement. Really? He's not remembered for peacemaking? That's thing interesting. that he didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, usually not remembered for that. America's <laughs> premier statesman. Yeah, make, makes a lot of sense so far. Um, indeed, he was intensely suspicious of pursuing peace. Okay, still tracks. And yet, in the Middle East where he devoted much of his energies as Secretary of State. He laid the foundation for an Arab-Israeli peace which has managed to withstand all the challenges of Middle Eastern wars that have followed. What lay behind this unusual and oft-overlooked achievement? And what might Kissinger, who died on Wednesday, have done to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian war that rages today? Personally, I would never ask his opinion. And if he offered it to me, I would turn around and walk the other way. But let's see... uh, Let's see the uh, Washington Post speculate a little bit on what they think he might do. In Kissinger's mind, it was always critical to avoid bringing too much passion to the pursuit of peace. He recognized that kings and emperors throughout history, and the American presidents who succeeded them, would be tempted to use their immense power to try to end conflicts. But that instinct needed to be resisted, Kissinger believed, Because giving into it was more likely to lead to more war. He called this the paradox of peace. Okay, so the harder you fight for peace, the less likely you're going to attain it. Okay. Um, Decent concept, I I guess. Let's see if it bears out here. Instead, Kissinger favored an incremental approach to peacemaking, a step-by-step process that would ameliorate conflict and buy time for the warring parties to come to terms with one another learn to live together and eventually end their conflict. Like, I don't know, like this is uh, some guy who stole, like Israel stole Palestine's parking spot and, you know, they'll just like talk it out and, you know, eventually they'll just learn to live together. No big deal.
2: I feel like that's the writing of like an elementary school paper, you know, when they read like three like encyclopedia encyclopedia articles about like some conflict and then have to do a writing on it. Cause Kissinger would do absolutely none of those things. In fact, <laughs> like he literally was interviewed after October seventh by Politico, where let's see, we have a quote where he states Kissinger pro- proclaimed full support for the brutal Israeli war on Gaza, saying you can't make concessions to people who have declared and demonstrated by their actions that they cannot make peace,
1: damn, is that Kissinger or is that fucking Bernie Sanders
2: <laughs> Oh uh, uh,
0: <laughs> one in the same nowadays, folks I know not not too far off, unfortunately, yeah, it's the same like orientalizing sort of and and this is again, this is one of Israel's major um strategies when it's coming to, you know, quote unquote, talking to the Palestinians. It's that um, we would love a peace agreement, but these brutal Palestinians, they just won't behave themselves. Yeah. You know, we we can't find um, any actors within um, any kind of representative of the Palestinians who will actually play ball with us. And what they mean by play ball is accept our terms of occupation and apartheid. That is the only thing that Israel will accept, right? It's the same orientalizing uh, language that's been used uh, by the British in India, by the British in the Middle East. Every single place you can imagine, it always comes back to this. We are doing the right thing for these people. We know better than them, and we know what's best for them. That is the underlying, that's what's baked underneath this.
2: There's also another like good point here. And that's like literally his words that they cannot make peace, which is so emblematic of like Mm -hmm. the language liberal empire uses. It's it's said as if peace is this objective anodyne thing that just there's two parties and we're trying to bring together them uh, to end conflict when America has a direct hand in instigating conflict and benefiting from conflict and maintaining and continuing conflict um, and choosing the parties within that conf- like conflict and also making sure that there is such a disparity of power that peace for who? Peace is not here on equal footing. This is the legacy of Henry Kissinger. This is a man born from the containment policies uh, against communism during the Truman administration. Containment itself was meant to be the liberal democratic rule rules-based world order, i.e. the peace that they always talk about which is a piece for capitalist empire, and a piece, not P-E-A-C-E, but P-I-E-C-E, where they get a piece of the global pie in various like forms. That is the statesman, Henry Kissinger, in a nutshell.
0: Well said. Um, yeah, conflict is this sort of, you know, we, we just have to find it. It's out there. You know, we just have to look for it and um once we do everything will just be fine um again like <clears throat> liberal reporting like the washington post what what else should i expect beyond people to just hope and pray and wish that eventually we'll find peace and end the conflict um no understanding of power and if there is an understanding of power it's purposefully uh, swept under the rug right um Going on here, this was his approach to Middle East peacemaking when, as Secretary of State 50 years ago, he was confronted by the surprise Yom Kippur War, 1973 by the way, launched against Israel by Egypt and Syria. And it would probably have been his approach to the conflict that has broken out now between Hamas and Israel. In 1973, Kissinger acted quickly to achieve a ceasefire, took 16 days, and then launched a peace process. But one aimed at interim agreements, not end of conflict deals. Interesting. Why would you not want an end of conflict deal? Mm, I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it in an interim, step-by-step way so that um, there's definitely uh, points in time that we can look. And stop what we're doing because we don't actually want an end to the conflict. What uh, Bay was saying earlier. The United States has an incredible investment in Israel as a junior partner of its empire. Why the fuck would it want the conflict to end? They have every reason to want the conflict to continue. If the United States is not going to be overtly, nominally, in the United States, um, <clears throat> at least it has its partner. Um, which is better anyways. Uh, Better for PR, better for its own image, uh, that the United States, no, we're not in the Middle East, uh, but our good friends are. But don't worry about that. They're the only democracy in the Middle East, and they are the most moral army in the world, blah, blah, blah. All of the myths that you've heard um, many, many times.
2: Super gay, peace-loving, like, army.
0: (laughs) The freaking gay Israeli LGBTQTs of of the military. Uh, As you could see by that very famous picture now um of that soldier holding oh the God. pride flag over fucking rubble, rubble. burning uh. buildings yeah we, we're the good guys right we're you know th- isn't this the right symbol this that's this is like, the which semiology are like, we doing again
2: that's like them like hoisting that massive fucking menorah on top of like that building which is like literally the type of shit isis did when they would like destroy christian <laughs> churches and everything and at the same time hamas is the equivalent to isis in like mainstream media and that like myth that israel puts like, mm-hmm.
1: like it's just like cartoonishly evil like there's that one video of the idf soldier riding around on a bike in like a ruined village just fucking turned to rubble oh yeah like, like, that the, he just like out of the i mean, house. there's a
2: litany of them you know just out there doing all sorts of despicable heinous shit which is of course like baked into the very like genetic fabric of that society um
1: which is
0: also why I
2: love side. like watching all like all the Hamas like uh, videos of them just sniping the shit out of people like oh, daily. That gives me such joy. Dude, the that little gives red triangle? Such joy. Oh my god! The red triangle, the red circle. Like watching them blow up Merkava tanks. Like just watching these like incredible so- like soldiers of courage. Like the most incredible people on the face of the earth. Palestinians and the Palestinian resistance it's like
0: it is crazy it makes me think of all of those old like clips I would take from uh, my Xbox 360 of like the <laughs> Halo 360 no scope <laughs> bullshit and I'm thinking like god I'm the fucking man I would do it like once every 10 months and be like god mm-hmm. I'm so fucking good at this game and then you then you watch these videos and you're like I am a worm man I don't <laughs> what what have I done in my life I'm a fucking worm but yeah these videos are incredible the actual uh <clears throat> whatever side you're on da, da, da. the videos are fucking sick dude they are <laughs> they incredible really cool. videos um like of yes
1: dudes walking up to like tanks yes <laughs> like, give
0: literally
2: a dollar and let me like snort that shit straight into my soul like that is the best
0: yes <laughs> like this it, just this dude just like runs up to a tank as fast as he can mike drops a fucking bomb on there and runs as fast as he fucking can away like I don't know if I could do that shit. That is like incredible bravery, incredible courage. Like they are, who's fighting for their homeland? You know, it's been said many times on, uh, you know, Twitter and all the social medias, Instagram, who's actually fighting for their homeland here? The people who are bombing olive trees, orange trees, bombing housing, infrastructure, or the people who are laying it all down on the fucking line to defend their home the uh palestinians who who is actually the uh who's the occupier and who is the um who's indigenous to the land i feel like stuff like that makes it so clear people who are indigenous to the land don't destroy it that's not an original thought but it's very very true and poignant poignant people who live on the land don't destroy it they have every reason to want to preserve it so that is your easiest clue to tell you who uh quote unquote is indigenous to the land who originated on this land
1: oh i was just noticing a vacuum of uh, lack just like a complete lack of explanations for how henry Kissinger died do we know if it wasn't the palestinian resistance <laughs> did the little red triangle not appear above <laughs> his fucking head <laughs>
0: I, I know, wish just... their their like social media team, uh, Ahmad, <laughs> the all qasim brigades. They release yeah you know, footage of, like some meme of them with the red triangle over Henry Kissinger's head or something like that.
2: Or like Hezbollah's amazing videos of like every one of their like uh, attacks that they release for every single fucking thing. They're like, and it always starts with our brave Mujahideen fighters and yeah. whatever. And you're just like, God, I got to read the Quran right now. Like this shit, it's in my it- blood. <laughs>
0: Wait. Dude, Americans are reading the Quran. Did you? Did you guys see? Oh yeah, that? I saw the Guardian <laughs> article. Yeah, brother, it's it's happening. Amazing. Islamic communism is coming, guys. I, th- yeah. I hope y'all are ready. And, and
2: I'm going to relate this back to my spiel whenever I get to it because I'm going to connect it to uh, the legacy of Vietnam and Henry Kissinger. But it's so fucking beautiful, also, to see the Yemeni resistance, a nation that has been literally blockaded and besieged, um, by like not only your gulf states uae of course saudi arabia being your primary but themselves being the vassal states operating on the at the behest of the u.s empire and the israeli proxy forces um but the uh, many brothers and sisters out there in full force just by the millions supporting palestine for simply the righteous understanding of what it is like fucking gorgeous i can't think of anything more gorgeous in my lifetime until you historically read about like the north vietnamese like resistance forces
0: and their liberation i think that's going to be very important for you to connect that well, yeah once we're through with this article yeah that would be a great segue speaking of hezbollah i uh, i'm sure you all follow resistance news uh, network on yeah. telegram i love dude and it, i i find myself reading it almost every time whenever hezbollah posts it's always like, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. And I'm like, I need to start doing that shit. Like in pre-op, like when I'm interviewing the patient, I to go up and introduce myself and be like, in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most powerful. The, he grants permission to his fighters who carry on the, the holy fight and all this stuff. I really, I need to come up with some kind of spiel like this for myself. I don't know what it's going to be it might i might just use just exactly cribbit. that one yeah but yeah i might just bite it <laughs> off um but yeah that's that's my newest sort of clinical um um uh, personality i suppose the uh closet hezbollah fighter <laughs> um who gives it all to god all right um <clears throat> let's see where did we leave off here <clears throat> oh yeah okay in 1973 kissinger acted quickly to achieve a ceasefire it took 16 days and then launched a peace process, but one aimed at interim agreements, not end of conflict deals. Okay. Over the next three years, through tireless shuttle diplomacy, he negotiated two disengagement <clears throat> disengagements of forces, uh, agreements between Israel and Egypt, and one between Israel and Syria. These had the effect of taking Egypt out of the conflict with Israel, stabilizing the border between Israel and Syria, and making it impossible for other Arab states to contemplate going back to war. These were... Big moments in the conflict, for sure. I think the agreement the the agreement with Egypt, I want to say, was 1978 with Sadat, and um, <clears throat> where they were there was actually like a true peace. This really pretty much took Egypt out of the uh, conflict uh, for a long time, at least. Um, and then the peace con or the peace agreement with Jordan in 1994 was also a huge turning point uh, in all of these uh, relations as well. But point being, um, Israel and the United States basically took these Arab nations out of the fight, uh, with their own peace processes, um, deliberately to make sure that the pressure was really only on the Palestinians and there was no other, uh, capable resistance from the other Arab states whose armies honestly were not up to task. Let's say at least in the 1960s the 1967, uh, six day war, definitely when Israel literally, uh, preemptively struck um israel or uh, egypt syria and jordan's air forces and literally like destroyed them overnight basically uh that was a huge huge turning point in the entire conflict really um taking a lot of the arab states out of the conflict but through diplomacy too that is a huge um w let's say for uh, the americans in israel taking egypt and syria and eventually jordan kind of out of the conflict Sorry, editorializing. The order he was able to create between Israel and its Arab state neighbors has been maintained ever since, eventually giving way to peace accords with a widening circle of Arab states, with Saudi Arabia next in line. It took some 40 years for most Arab states to come to terms with Israel, vindicating Kissinger's reservations about rushing to final agreements before all the players were ready. Uh, So that's, I I guess that's... um, A trophy for kissinger for stalling as long as he did to give israel the time to build up its own infrastructure to build up more settlements to imprison more palestinians to normalize the 1967 borders even more uh than was already in the imagination of the uh i don't know international uh, consensus not all the middle east players were willing to conform to kissinger's incremental approach during the 1970s Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and Israeli leaders Yitzhak Rabin and later Menachem Begin were keen to end their conflict, but Kissinger refused to indulge them. <clears throat> then Jimmy Carter... Ooh, have, oh my God, have you guys seen Jimmy Carter recently? No. Drop,
1: a, drop the link.
0: <laughs> you guys know that um, SpongeBob episode with the old woman where SpongeBob's telling chocolates yes. and, and the, <laughs> he knocks on the door and the old like, like, chocolate. <laughs> Like that is scary. Oh shit. I just suggest you look up a photo. That's
1: all. I'm looking at one right now. Oh my god.
0: it's all it's kind of like if you look at image one, image two, there's it's really hard to tell the difference, actually. That's brutal. Jimmy Carter. I mean, I will give some credit where credit's due. Jimmy Carter did write a book about um, maybe not about ending Israeli apartheid, but if there's any US president in the last maybe 50 years who is even close to sympathetic, at least. Not actually willing to do anything. Do not get it twisted. But at least sympathetic for the idea of um, <clears throat> maybe we're the bad guys <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, it was probably Jimmy Carter. Um, some people like to say Obama. I don't really know about that. He didn't really do shit, if you ask me. But um, he can think privately what he wants, but that doesn't really do anything. Um. Okay. Then Jimmy Carter, true to the presidential peacemaking urges that Kissinger most feared. <laughs> yeah, he did. He sure did fear peacemaking. Uh, took up the challenge and succeeded in negotiating the breakthrough at Camp David that produced the 1979 Israel-Egypt peace treaty. Okay, sorry, you're off. 1979. I asked Kissinger recently whether he had any regrets about not trying for that peace. He said... No, (laughs) I was happy it happened, but I was always worried that if I pushed the parties too hard toward peace, I would end up breaking the process. Oh, okay. So the ninth dimensional chess of Henry Kissinger, uh, I see on full display here. It was that innate conservatism that wedded him to his step-by-step approach, even if it meant missing opportunities for breakthroughs. I guess we can just... uh, every move he makes will be able to justify it somehow as the the brilliant mastermind you know the the cunning uh string puller in the background you know when really all he's trying to do is look out for u.s interests which is maintaining the occupation it's not that complicated
2: i'd also say like part of the myth and legacy of him being a brilliant mastermind is absolute bullshit um kissinger himself was a very mediocre person um, this is said in the way it plays out in American history, especially with in texts written within a bourgeois sentimentality, that there are these people that are these cunning, brilliant actors of statescraft. Um, the only person that is like moderately brilliant in the sense of being dastardly evil, but still understanding the global order uh, from that time period is Zbigniew Brzezinski. Um, and actually like... The things that he did when you actually read very in-depthly about like kissinger you sit there and you're like bland ass milk toast white dude like <laughs> it, it it really does play to that point uh the only thing that kissinger truly uh might get credit for in the sense of attempting to establish peace is uh during the time of detente um the opening up of relations with china which is also why you saw like a lot of the left criticizing China because China's out there, you know, uh, giving very honest like messages within social media to like America and stuff. Mind you, there's so many ways to read that uh, in regards to Kissinger's death. But also it's the fact that China during a time of like facing annihilation by a nuclear power after they had just been through several civil wars, um, World War II, etc. Actually saw Kissinger as kind of a heroic figure in their eyes because he did play a part in normalizing those relations. Um, and allowing China to flourish to their own degree, as we see now, like so we can understand those type of contradictions without getting into like heavy Marxist analogies, which, you know, I was all over, like leftist social like media sphere. Um, but that is truly maybe Kissinger's only lasting legacy, which has a thumbprint, if you will, of peace, like even within Arab conflicts. Um, in regards to Arab conflicts with Israel in the 1970s, etc., so many of the resolutions that were put forward by peace by the Soviets were also undermined, let alone resolutions uh, by American um, actors were undermined by Kissinger. Like, Kissinger himself was a bumblefuck.
0: I mean, many of these uh, peace talks, I mean, I don't want to get into, uh, as much as we love to dunk on this guy, I I do want to, for our listeners, I do want to reiterate that we're living in a system, we're living in a structure, um, and individuals within that system, while we should criticize them, um, we should also keep in mind that, you know, I actually do believe if it weren't Henry Kissinger, it would just be somebody else who might be a little bit better, they might be a little bit worse, but ultimately I'm not convinced that... uh, (laughs) the order of the world would be much different, to be honest, because there's it's a labyrinth of uh, connected strings within the, uh, do we want to call it deep state? I feel like we would call it something else, but uh, I don't want to signal to the wrong people, I suppose. Uh, But I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, This is a a, a labyrinth of connections. Um, It's not up to any one person to make any one decision. But we do need to keep in mind that Henry Kissinger is a special bastard still um some things would be different but I think quite a few things wouldn't have changed either um keeping our critique ultimately to capitalism imperialism and colonialism we still do like to dunk on the people that deserve it don't get it wrong absolutely
2: and it's also why I don't like the way um there's a heavy handedness with, you know, just acting like Henry Kissinger is this mastermind and thank God this evil bastard is dead. By all means, like step on his grave, dance on his grave, piss on his grave, shit on his grave. Mm-hmm. Um But part of that plays into this idea that there are individual actors of such heinous proportions rather than it is such a heinous system, a very complex and convoluted system and at the same time very simple to understand. That is almost this weird dialectical nature of it all. Um, but let's dunk on this motherfucker and let's also realize he is not, you know, an outlier of any proportion. That's a good way to put it.
0: Not an outlier. And people like him do not arise in a more just, a more humane society. I think that's really... The big takeaway is that henry kissinger would not have come into being uh well maybe as an as a person but in a just society in a just system people like him would not come to power so we have to understand that too it's uh, it's not just that he exists and he was in there um if we lived in a more just society people like henry kissinger would not come to power <clears throat> we would not be talking about him otherwise well i'd say also like these type of
2: actors it feels as if there is a uh... A certain, in a literary sense almost, like a historical ascendancy of an almost archetypal uh, of people, an archetype of people. Um, So you see as American empire arises to its highest highs uh, post-World War II, you see people like Kissinger left and right. And they are often lionized and kind of valorized. Uh, and their obituaries when they die as being these men oftentimes men patriarchy right uh, but even the women of those times of uh, these brilliant individuals when you actually get to know the history of them they're you know such mediocrity abounds which itself is kind of a part of colonialism uh, that itself factors so heavily into this and at the same time you look at them as these brilliant statesmen these people of um such moral certainty and intellectual ability that that is why they had attained the positions that they got, all bullshit mind you. But it also fits with this trajectory of seeing as an empire declines, the type of characters that we have currently leading it, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, etc. cetera. It does fit into this hilarious historical pattern that needs a lot more delineation and contextualization, um, but it fits and it certainly fits that at this time, the continuing relics of that empire at its height, major uh, mainstream media, all you know, newer all your publications, uh all your large cable networks, etc., speak in effluence about this man, and we're over here to tell you this motherfucker ain't shit.
0: <laughs> I feel like um not that I'm an in- expert on her life but Madeline albright is kind of one of these types as well exactly that's yes. so lionized in the mm-hmm. media liberal media this um incredible figure of diplomacy blah 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 and it's just like i mean you yeah. know
2: yeah want, and it yeah. fits because look right after her look at condoleezza rice it fits very yep. much with the liberal trajectory of um you know black faces in white places on high that type of liberal tendency to now move as we do through the spectrum of identity. And then you look at their history and look at these brilliant people. Um they came up and they had all this adversity due to their race, due to their sex, et cetera. But they just made it big. They made it big because they went to, you know, an Ivy League and then they attained this position. They were it is this type of American myth making. And the American myth making itself has this weird literary trajectory. And that's kind of what I'm describing with Henry Kissinger and the people of that time and how you see it through the Bush administration. And then you start seeing this precipitous decline. Like these ways, right, the Obama extension carried it to another high, and now we're at this low really, like...
0: but it's because of how solidified the bureaucracy gets under these uh sons and daughters of uh, our former heroes of our nation. you can call them I, I mean they're not heroes to us, obviously, but like in the in in the consciousness of your regular person,
2: oh yeah I the mean, bureaucracy look has become- look at. I was going to say, I mean, just a hilarious example. Look at John McCain and the legacy uh, that is often purported with him. And then look at his fucking daughter, (laughs) like a view co-host who gets fired, you know, that type of thing. Like that is the American trajectory in a nutshell. It's beautiful in its own like twisted regard.
0: It either, it either produces fail sons and daughters of maybe even fail sons and daughters themselves. Maybe not in John McCain's case. He did his thing fine. Uh, And, but he got caught. Don't forget he got caught. Also, Um, as Trump said, he's a fucking loser.
1: He's a loser. (laughs) That's right. Who got (laughs)
0: captured? I prefer, yeah, I prefer my uh, leaders and heroes—the ones that don't get caught. Uh, Might have been onto something. Um, So you either produce fail sons and daughters, um, interminably, who enter their various media jobs, or you know uh, they write their think pieces, or they enter into the Brookings Institute to write, you know, the same horseshit that everyone else writes, or. Um, They enter the political sphere uh, formally only to find that uh, even if they were good intentioned, even if they maybe had some ideas for change, the bureaucracy has become so solidified and so sclerotic. It's not like you have a chance to do anything anyways. Um, The legacy that people like Henry Kissinger leave, it means that you are only allowed a certain um, Overton window. Fine. Let's call it. Of acceptable policy, um, and when it comes to foreign policy, that window is even smaller, even smaller, and it always goes back to. And you read when you read about um, the heroes in Israel, right? Uh, Dave, uh, <clears throat> David David Ben Gurion, people like this. Um, all of the traditions that come out of the original partition, Israel becoming a state in forty eight, and the heroes of that time who were, you know, military commanders or whatever. A lot of the policy that uh ensues is based on these heroes quote unquote and a lot of this is what i said at the top of the show the um the state department foreign policy like henry kissinger is the torchbearer of so many of these things that are still going on today we haven't even talked about south america latin america i kind of have to assume a lot of our listeners know this stuff already which is why i wanted to talk more about Israel, Palestine, and his role there too. and Maybe it's not as talked about. Uh, and, I'm, and we'll get to it eventually. And of course, Bay is going to talk about the uh, intertwining with uh, Vietnam. <clears throat> I should just, let me just finish this article real quick. We're pretty much at the end. What would Kissinger have done about today's war in Gaza? His pursuit of order was focused on relations between states. Non-state revolutionary actors such as Hamas had to be neutralized and denied the ability to disrupt the region. Um, he would then look to the neighboring Arab states to work with Israel to reestablish a more, a more durable order. That's the second time in this paragraph we've heard the word order. What does the word order mean, I wonder? I think it means exactly what the United States fucking says. Um, and any time, again, you hear about peace talks, whether that be Camp David, Oslo Accords, Madrid, even a couple years before that, Oslo One, Oslo Two, anything beyond that, you have to remember there is an order of things, and that order is no statehood for Palestine, no right of return, and the only promises really ever made were auto- local autonomy, which does not mean a state. It does not mean administering your own affairs. It does not even mean you really have your own government. So anytime you hear these bad actors, these these cynical people who try to tell you how Uh, Yasser Arafat did everything he could to deny, deny, deny every single offer that was put forth. What were these offers? Never an offer of statehood, never an an offer of right of return, never an offer of an end to the occupation. So anytime you hear people say things like this, the United States was just uh, pursuing order. They're pursuing peace. No, they weren't. They were pursuing the same doctrine that exists today, which is let's wait as long as we can until people forget about this. And what's so important about October 7th is the brave Hamas fighters, not just Hamas, it's the PIJ, um, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. It's Hamas and the Al-Qasim brigades. The PFLP is still in the mix, folks. Um, don't think that this is merely the uh, islamist quote-unquote movement which again is an american invention by the way um the pflp is still in the mix the dflp is still in the mix um I mean, hezbollah entire, in south of yeah. lebanon is still in it's, the mix it's the entire axis of resistance absolutely I mean, it, it's
2: the yemenis it is iran um all of these people uh, it is your iraqi resistance the resistance in syria all these people are so vital and every one of them is heroic in their own regard whatever yeah. contradictions are there within the larger understanding of these countries and we're not getting into that we're talking literally about the liberation of palestine and the full support of resistance forces against empire and the most savage savage puppet state of empire that's right
0: the the most savage junior junior partner um speaking of yemen dog speaking of fucking sweet videos uh them when they um when they basically stole that Israeli uh, nice. aircraft carrier.
2: When they yeah, landed on the galaxy, yeah. Bro. They're
0: <laughs> like, yeah, this is my shit now. And
2: yeah, then that- my favorite is afterwards, too, when they're, like, fucking partying it up with them. Yes. Like, doing hookah, like, out there and shit. I'm like, God, the Yemenis are something else, bro. Like,
0: I know. Literally, they're like, fuck around and find out. You want to yes. you wanna, you wanna, uh, throw your ships in our waters? Fuck around and find out. And like, two- just today, they fucking bombed, like, mm-hmm. multiple. Mm-hmm. Like, as of we started the
2: recording, they had bombed two. Yep. earlier both it was expected with uh, one with ballistic missiles and one with their drones capabilities and right as we started it was like it is now reported that yemen has also bombed another ship so going into the show there's now three ships that oh have been god. bombed today like fucking gangster
0: fucking, fucking gangster dude oh my god and with especially in the context of all the things that have happened in yemen literally like the starvation yes uh um <clears throat> the war that's been going on in yemen uh, the starvation that has happened to its population in, in ensuing from this war, that was only not even two years ago, this was really popping off, right? And beyond, and despite that, they are still in that fuck around and find out mentality, being one of the tiniest Gulf nations and still putting it all in the line. And it makes me so, number one, sad, and number two, angry, because I hear Palestinians in these videos sometimes, you know, brave journalists like Motaz. Uh, Azaza, uh, and Walid, and, uh, <clears throat> um, Bisan, like these, Plestia, all of these super brave journalists. Um, there's one video I think I'll never forget for the rest of my life. It's this, uh, older hijabi woman who's literally screaming into the camera, camera, where are the Arab leaders? It like gives me chills every time I think of this video and like the pain and just fucking fury in, in her voice. Where are the Arab leaders? You will, <laughs> God is watching, basically. And, you know, what, whether you believe in God or not, this conflict, doesn't matter. That's not really what this conflict's about. Anyways, don't let people tell you this is a conflict about religion. It, of course, intersects in every, in our material reality, of course, but this conflict is not about religion, so to speak. But her words just are just reverberating in my, in my head. Where are the Arab leaders? God is watching. (laughs) Why are you sitting and doing nothing? Um, Why? Well, kind of what we're talking about here, right? American foreign policy. Um, People like Henry Kissinger who have set the tone in this region for the past 50 years. All of the peace deals that have been done with all of the alleged uh, or purported, let's say, uh, Palestinian allies. Egypt, Syria, Jordan. Hezbollah in Lebanon, Iraq, yeah, like all of these nations. And we're all wondering, where are they? Where are you? And this is the result of um, American diplomacy, of basically handcuffing these nations, giving them the only terms that are acceptable f- so that they themselves are not annihilated, whether by neo-colonial economic policies, structural adjustment, et cetera, or just outright bombing these countries, uh, which is exactly what's happening in Gaza right now. Okay, sorry, let me fucking finish this article and we will move on. Um, He supported statehood for the Palestinians as a way to eventually resolve the conflict, but he believed in an incremental process in which the Palestinians would acquire attributes of statehood, quote unquote, building governing institutions that would eventually lead them to acquiring independence. Eventually, when it's on our terms, when we say so, when they've been good boys and girls, then they can acquire independence. But who has the final say? Definitely not the Palestinians. Every single UN resolution, every single partition plan, every single instance of things concerning Palestinian statehood or Palestinian autonomy or whatever you want to call it, The Palestinians have almost never been involved. Almost never. And that's why uh, the Oslo 1 was such a big deal, because Israel finally recognized the PLO as the the spokespeople of the Palestinians. That's why that was such a big deal. Not that Oslo 1 was good. In fact, conditions really got a lot worse after Oslo 1 and 2, especially in Gaza. Okay, let me wrap it up. He would... He would have been the first to warn against any attempt to end the conflict by imposing a, stu- a two-state solution. Instead, he would have wanted a process that would begin by introducing Palestinian governance back into Gaza under a trusteeship, and oh, like the Britney Spears fucking conservatorship, basically. Um, Nobody, yeah, we just want to make sure those Palestinians aren't crazy, you know, before we give them their own government. Um, uh, trusteeship in which Egypt and other Arab states would help maintain order. He would have had no objection to holding out the two-state solution as the eventual endpoint, as long as everyone understood, it would need to be preceded by a process of building capabilities and conf- uh, confidence one step at a time. Kissinger's cautious, conservative statecraft helped create the mainstays of order between, oh, that's the third time in the last two paragraphs, uh, helped create the mainstains of order between Israel and its Arab state neighbors that has stood the test of time. When Israelis and Palestinians eventually reconcile, unfortunately, a long time from now, um, seem pretty sure of that it should be remembered that Henry Kissinger's peacemaking diplomacy helped create the framework that made it possible. <laughs> Man, it seems like he did be... a
1: lot to do the opposite. I don't know why they're so <laughs> confident about like,
0: that. Like you say that, but I just, wanna, like wanna I read talk the history.
2: About creating book and... Like fucking tall tale, Paul Bunyan ass miss right here. Like <laughs> goddamn.
0: It is, dude it's tall tales it's americans they want their stories they want their mythologies repeated back to them you know and they're always the
2: supreme actors in these stories they're the main characters you know they're the heroic individuals who have built peace mm-hmm. on you know the billions of bodies uh, that they've created
1: They make it just sound like, oh, you know, we we want them to, you know, have their own car, but their insurance rates are just too high. We have to wait for your (laughs) brains to mature. You know, once they're 25, we'll let you have it. It's like, what the
0: fuck? It is what it is. It's so infantilizing. It is so it's (coughs) it's it's just like, yeah, these Palestinians, they're, they're just kids, you know, they're just violent little kids. And like once they grow up, then, yeah, we're happy to give them a state. No big deal. But we need order. Um, we need, um, we need trust, you know, like this is some kind of like therapeutic relationship or something like, what are we talking about? This is war guys. Um, and this is, this is exactly why so many of these quote unquote peace talks fell through because they're infantilizing because they're belittling. It's basically telling the, the, the PLO after a certain time, basically telling them, yeah, 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 you'll get what you want, but you just have to wait a little bit longer. It's like when you ask your dad, what does that mean? He says, I'll tell you when you're older. It's kind of like that. Except you just never get older. You stay 12 years old the rest of your life. That's what's happening.
1: Well, it's like if your dad kills you.
0: Yeah. And, and also and your dad so, kills you.
1: There's <laughs> just like more and more. So I'll tell like you when you're guy. older. Oh,
0: the story <laughs> of Abraham. Perfect.
1: But he goes through with it. Yeah. I was going to say... Uh...
0: <laughs> And he's like okay so god is supposed to intervene now right right dad doesn't find that ram in the bush here in this story (laughs) well
2: i mean like rendering a population invisible is literally the prime project for a colonial occupying force and so it it has been the primary thing to render palestinians as an indigenous multi-ethnic people Um, Not simply invisible, but inhuman and subhuman. So when we do recognize them, we recognize it as this incredible display of recognizing humanity. When Oslo itself was bullshit, it created the PA, uh, Palestinian Authority, led by that fucking puppet uh, Abbas, which itself is part of the colonial project to create what looks like an entity that will serve people that we now recognize, when really this entity is going to serve us.
0: That's right. They were literally lapdogs for the security, for the IOF, basically, like subcontracting security services to the Palestinians. Like, oh, my God, man, like, don't worry, you have a say in leadership as long as you basically control your bitch. That's what they told Palestinian Authority. Control your bitch. And if anything pops off, you better take care of this so we don't have to.
1: No, maybe if we're uh, talking about all the good things that Henry Singer did, can we talk about the one genuinely good thing he did?
0: Oh, which I was know what swindling
1: this is. Swindling a bunch of fucking people.
0: Yes. Okay. Let's talk about his swindling deals. Um, his his praxis, and then we'll, <laughs> yeah, and then we'll round out with uh, Vietnam.
1: Well, because this is all like very heavy and i think it's you know important to think dialectically because no one's ever truly all evil really oh yeah though, right? no
0: there's some redemption um, arcs out there yeah
1: right so this is obviously well into his i don't know probably fucking 90s at this point um <laughs> where like every good post-government dipshit he has a consulting firm but um one of his other extracurricular activities was being on the board of theron <laughs> all
0: right <laughs> and uh, for for folks at home, Theranos being,
1: oh, it's the Liz Holmes. If you know that lady with the blonde hair and the turtleneck and she looks crazy and, and the voice voice, and oh, yeah. she drops her voice like this. <laughs> I, I can't even do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she had that fake blood company where, it, with a drop of blood, she was going to be able to run all these tests and then it turned out she just like made a box that looked pretty and then she was contracting to like actual regular labs <laughs> um
0: the um you- i think it's hulu there's a documentary that's actually yes, pretty good bad about blood this. Yes, yes bad the, the blood book- i highly recommend
1: yeah the book is great uh the documentary series is also really good but um henry kissinger was like a key part of this Um, And so I'm going to read from an article, Ars Technica. Wealthy families encouraged by Henry Kissinger's lawyers, sank over $400 million into Theranos. Um, This is an article from 2021. And so let's see. So Silicon Valley loves unicorns, privately held startups that surged to 1 billion valuations and beyond. By that measure, Theranos was a very special breed of unicorn. Not only was the company worth several billion dollars, while... Doing nothing, providing zero services yes, at this Yes, have time. not
0: proved a product yet. God bless <laughs> American <things>. capitalism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just the idea of it was really cool. And raised $1 billion from investors alone. Finding that kind of money can be challenging, but thanks to one well-connected matchmaker, Theranos made it look almost easy. In the criminal trial of Theranos founder Liz Holmes, jury heard that the matchmaker was Daniel Mosley. The estate attorney for the former Secretary of State and board member Henry Kissinger, in less than two years, mostly connected several wealthy families and individuals to Theranos, ultimately bringing in over four hundred million dollars in investment. So about forty percent of their entire fundraising is due to Henry Kissinger and his fucking lawyer. <laughs> A significant portion of the nine hundred million to one point three billion that the startup raised over its lifetime. I mean, uh, so, so the, far
0: this is a nightmare blunt rotation, but but, <laughs> but continue.
1: Just wait. So the list of the people they fucking swindled, uh, the DeVos family, which makes <laughs> oh really founding founding Amway and Betsy DeVos of fame, um, one hundred million dollars. Cox family nice. uh, controls Cox Enterprises, media, telecom, automotive Collaborate. Oh, Cox uh, City.
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> And Walton, okay, the
0: blunt rotation is getting w- worse. <laughs> uh, you, you were right; it is getting worse. But keep um, on.
1: Waltons of Walmart fame. All right. <laughs> God
0: yeah! Sam's
2: uh, Club.
1: Andreas Strakopoulos, Greek shipping heir, put up twenty-five million. Henry Kissinger in it for three. Mosley in it for six. Kissinger also got friends who were not Mosley's clients, uh, which were the Oppenheimer family that controlled the De Beers company in South Africa. Um, They were in it for 24 million. Um, And yeah, basically nobody did any due diligence. Uh, Mosley said that he hadn't pushed anyone to put any money in, but he was obviously very smitten. And uh, Henry Kissinger wrote the 2015 Time article about Liz Holmes as a tech visionary. Um, And just to give some context for that list that year, uh, other little blurbs in time on this list included Kanye West by Elon Musk, (laughs) um, Charles Koch and David Koch by Rand Paul, uh, (laughs) and Kim Kardashian West by Martha Stewart.
2: God, this this feels like... The fucking front book rack at like Barnes and Nobles with the shittiest book, but yes. it's like so American, where you just like, oh my god, why are they advertising this shit to me?
1: Just like, like... All if all the fucking statesman shit wasn't evil enough, like he was just personally connected to like the most evil and awful people in our society. Just out just socially, just like having fun.
0: God, uh, the DeVos family, the Waltons, man, like. What what what? I want to be in those uh, pitch meetings that Theranos would have, like pitch to investors. Like literally, did they pass around a blunt and they're like, "So dog, <laughs> like listen, all we need is like one drop of blood, fam, and like we can get like a million tests." And it's like, check this out, and it's just the box, and like a three-slide PowerPoint. It's like that blood question mark profit <laughs> uh, linkage they
1: just bring out the dune box they're like put your hand in it before. yeah oh my
0: god
2: <laughs> like you know what it reminds me of like in regards to kissinger in this story i don't know if you remember but there's an episode of futurama with this character called slur mckenzie where he like drinks slur. <laughs> yeah, this so is tired. like and, and he fucking ends up dying at the end of the episode because he's like i'm so tired of partying he pulls down his go that's how kissinger died like you tell this story and it just sounds like <laughs> kissinger is just like He's lived damn near 100 years and six months, and it's just like at so, some point, he just pulled down his glass and was like, I'm so fucking tired of partying. He's <laughs> like just...
0: got too much evil humor circulating. Uh-huh. Finally well, got mean,
1: All the karmic things, you know, he, he did defraud about $400 million from really bad people, too. Well, so. and
2: l- let's be honest about this story in particular. We talk about it's a beautiful act of, like, empire cannibalizing its own. The only reason why these people got invested into this is built off of um, the meritocratic myth behind the man Henry Kissinger. No one else is doing that. I mean, mind you, a typical capitalist that's well-connected, good. But for Henry Kissinger himself, it's literally the myth that he himself as an individual within the upper echelon of American empire and its creation had that like caused these people to like fall for this shit.
0: Yeah. I mean, literally, what does Henry Kissinger, what would he have to contribute to the discourse of, like, updating medical technology? You know, what, what, what would he have to say about that, I wonder? Um, it, it, literally, it's just, yeah, it's just this myth. This guy who is a patriot and he made some high-level foreign policy decisions that uh, inevitably uh, <clears throat> shot forward the United States uh, in its... Uh, Imperial conquest. What else? What else did he do that has anything to do with healthcare? Uh besides, you know, the uh Nepal Mania and uh Agent Agent Orange that was dropped into a certain country we're gonna be talking about soon. Um it is just crazy. Uh, this, uh, revolving door between the public sector and the private sector also, this is a decent encapsulation of that. And, uh, Henry Kissinger in his nineties is still investing. He must've had big plans to live to 200, but, um, cut short, RIP Bozo.
2: I mean, the same characters, the way they pop up reminds me of that, like Simpsons clip of like Abe Simpson, just coming through the door with his hat and like putting on <laughs> the like hat rack and and then coming back out. Like this, it's all the same people all the fucking time.
0: Yep. yep. Well, should we round out with uh, a brief discussion on HK in Vietnam, shall we? Yeah, let's do it.
2: I'm going to tie this back into the overall conversation we have about uh, Palestine and everything we've been discussing in that regard. But give it a historical context in the way uh, empire operates um, and this legacy that it creates in this particular context uh, it to the damaging health effects of death, destruction, disability, and debility. Um, let me read you a quote from this article, and this itself is from <clears throat> historian Nick Terse's documented uh, writing in his 2013 book, uh, Kill Anything That Moves the Real American War in Vietnam. The defining feature that makes memories of this war so difficult for many Americans was the relentless violence against civilians, the massacres of women, children, and the elderly, rapes, indiscriminate bombardment, burning down of villages, and routinized torture. Now, why does that sound familiar? Here we are talking about something beginning in 1968, going out throughout this 1970s. In itself, the historical connection is no different than what you're seeing in Palestine. This is how empire operates. The way we talk about empire, the techniques it uses for war, it's outright destruction. Now, Henry Kissinger himself oversaw and approved of the relentless bombings that occurred. It, it, it's in the thousands. He actually oversaw and pinpointed. This is a man that had no business connected to this when you actually understand the way the National Security Council works, defense, etc., And yet this really originated from him, this pinpointing of... Um, you know, people outside of specifically organized uh, governmental roles and the way they're supposed to be function and this openness towards any political actor as you then saw in like the Bush administration and then of course in the Obama administration which doesn't get talked about enough. We all understand the war crimes that occurred and shit like that but the way in which war was allowed to be carried out itself kind of a funny process if you think about it um how we can consider war being carried out in this very uh, regimented and regulated manner when you think of like this hegemonic empire conducting war because at its origin you think a benevolent empire would conduct war justly hilarious in itself but henry kissinger kind of opened the door into this outright destruction the complete firebombing of a population in Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam is no different than the cataclysmic nuclear firebombing of Gaza, and then of the unfolding destruction in the West Bank, itself a connected legacy to the way empire has functioned, the American empire. Um, what Israel is doing itself, it views this as part of this ongoing legacy, something originally created by or I shouldn't say created because if you think about it this is and I say this word ironically a beautiful historical connection to the blitzkrieg and firebombing that Germany performed not of the UK but of Soviet Russia and of Stalingrad it is a continuing legacy of that type of fascist empire um Henry Kissinger just really connected it to the American version that we've seen play out for the last six decades. I'm gonna read you a large section of an article here, just so we can lastly talk about all of this in its entirety and just kind of pull from it, uh, what you will. Uh, Matthew Dalek, associate professor at George Washington University's Graduate School of Political Management, said the massacre, and this is in regards to uh, the Malai massacre um, that occurred. And the cover up there, is a particularly dark moment in the history of modern America, which raised big questions about whether the US was capable of defending freedom, democracy, and human rights in far-flung places. Quote, the government's claim of defending Southeast Asia from atheistic communist aggression has become a cruel and paradoxical host, Dalek said. According to a study by Harvard Medical School and the University of Washington, there were 3.8 million violent war deaths, of which 2 million were civilians. The cruelty against civilians was more than a collection of isolated incidents but the official policy according to former secretary of state john kerry a vietnam veteran in his 1971 testimony before the senate such atrocities were crimes committed on a day-to-day basis with the full awareness of officers at all levels of command this unpopular war sparked widespread anti-protests in the west a large number of u.s servicemen returned from returned from vietnam were left traumatized for life But the horrors were far from over when the Americans evacuated Saigon. Um, Then we get into the chemical warfare unleashed on Vietnam. So during the war, U.S. forces dumped 50 million liters, that's 13 million gallons of Agent Orange, which was an herbicide containing highly toxic dioxins across Vietnam's forest and farmlands, exposing an estimated 4 million Vietnamese people to the dangerous chemical. The Red Cross of Vietnam estimates that nearly 1 million people suffered severe health complication and disabilities due to exposure since then hundreds of thousands of children have been born with serious birth defects and the environmental destruction on this land is immeasurable and irreversible
0: and if i can just say that that clearly tracks on and mirrors israel's campaign of disabling the palestinian population that's
2: exactly it Mm
0: -hmm.
2: ultimately that is literally what i just wanted to boil it all down to that condensed observation that, that is exactly the practice occurring right now uh in gaza that the relentless firebombing, uh that the project of um genocide and ethnic cleansing itself unfolds in numerous manners but like when they talked about the testimony of senator former senator and secretary of state uh kerry mentioning how people knew and were aware well this isn't simply watching israel bomb civilians because they can't target hamas They can't target resistance forces what they're trying to do is create essentially political pressure by killing civilians weakening the support for hamas which it doesn't we see this historically you see this in algeria you see obviously in vietnam this only furthers the project of resistance and liberation which it will occur palestine will be free in our lifetimes this attests to it Um, but it's also the idea that when israel comes out in the mainstream media you know america just runs with it um that they're selecting their targets and all this type of stuff yeah they're selecting to kill children purposely they i know within the past four days there was a 972 article that talked about how uh, the use of ai technology and that israel essentially knows every house when they're trying to kill every journalist every member of uh some prominence within palestinian civil society doctors scientists you see that with the people that they target uh, the killing of 72 journalists as it stands at the moment this is all a st- historical uh part of empire's destruction you can't read anything that i just read about vietnam and not see the connections to what is currently unfolding uh in palestine
1: yeah like those videos of those uh those settlers um pulling out like 200 year old olive trees like for no reason like you could just use them you could let people harvest off them just just out of spite pulling out these like fucking historic trees and even now i think like there's areas that got you know any number of the rainbow herbicides like aside from just agent orange where there's just literally no trees there's nothing that grows there anymore and there's still just like bombs that are still left obviously
2: Oh, yeah. Like, apart from the bombs themselves and, like, um, that you know, were dropped then, it is, like, upwards of 50,000 people have died since then. Like, that is one of, like, it's within, like, the human, the United Nations Human Rights Council, where one of their, like, uh, bullet points in addressing issues within Southeast Asia was to remove uh, unexploded uh, ordinances. One of the things that China has been amazing and helping out these nations through their belt and road initiative when they've built you know bullet trains etc all forms of infrastructure and transit is how many people they have to send in to literally clear out uh unexploded um missiles bombs uh in these places which still kill and mostly they kill children children playing etc so if they don't kill them they disable them and that is on top of the chemical warfare that's caused chemical warfare which you can see in you know Uh, the exploding of white phosphorus over civilian Mm -hmm. populations uh, right now. And of course, uh, occupied Palestine, but also in Lebanon, they've done that. Um,
1: Literally poisoning water supplies. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I was going to say literally attempting sickness, disease to run
0: rampant. Um, And yeah, it doesn't have to be the bombs. It doesn't have to be white phosphorus. It is uh, biological warfare as well. But the way in which israel has carried out its siege <clears throat> um they, they didn't even really have to send in um troops and they didn't for a long time at the start i mean this started october 7th and it was a long time until any ground invasion kicked off and they really didn't have to and i almost wondered why they did maybe it was more of a symbolic thing than anything but look when you're turning off electricity when you're turning off energy sources when you're turning off water supply what do you think's gonna happen? People have to drink water, so they're going to drink shitty water. They're going to drink out of a puddle where a bunch of uh, <clears throat> or a bunch of trash, or a bunch of uh, old human remains or feces or whatever it is, they're going to drink out of whatever fucking source they can. And what you're hearing out of Gaza now is a bunch of uh, viral and bacterial diseases. And that, it, like if you think things are bad now. The 15,000, 20,000, the numbers are changing depending on if you count people who are unaccounted for, under the rubble, uh, injured, whatever it may be. If you think things are bad now, if this continues, the numbers will skyrocket once you start to take into account starvation, dysentery, uh, other GI illnesses, um, and dehydration, all of this kind of stuff. This is... I mean, it's not unprecedented, but my God, it's, um, it's sickening. It's disgusting. And yet these people are still, uh, extolled as the only democracy in the Middle East. They're extolled as the most moral army in the world. They're extolled as, uh, the true peacekeepers fighting terrorism, quote unquote. Um, it's just like, I, I I can't, I don't know how much longer I can do this, um, just keep watching this. And of course you can't stop. You can't look away from it. You can't give up, but it's just like, I I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling, but it's, um, sorry, you're going to say something, babe. I mean, to your
2: point real quick, I'd say that's a human emotion to just see devastation. I mean, literally chim's children's limbs, headless children, et cetera. Just the worst. We've seen the absolutely worst of the worst and you can't look away um and there's a certain sense of powerlessness one is to accept our role in this and that is not to get into the liberal sentiments of guilt and everything that's to understand in this historical sense uh our presence within uh the historical uh material realities and the contradictions of those things to be a real revolutionary is to do that and then to follow through with what is needed of us what the palestinians ask of us which they are clear and direct in saying continue to apply pressure to government's protests, et cetera. Uh, we will be victorious, that type of thing. So you, you can only take heart in that. You can only take heart in what the resistance does. And I see the beauty, not just in the changing of, um, sharpening contradictions from October 7th, but the beauty in seeing people be accepting because so much of since 2011, um, 2011, September 11th was, uh, the outright, uh, to me the height of orientalism and the islamophobia that we've had to live with all of us you know we've been baked into it it's inculcated within our psyches um and to see those cracks those fissures absolutely breaking right like not to be cheesy but fucking han solo coming out the goddamn carbonite like that is what it's like watching people right now like come out and see these videos of these very human muslim beings these men who are often demonized by their appearance and stuff in the West, as we've known for the past decades, and to see nothing but the most beautiful, bright light of humanity in these people. Um, yep. I, and, joked,
0: I joked to you guys about when uh, Russia and Ukraine started popping off, I was almost excited in a selfish way. I was like, oh, thank God, they'll lay off the fucking Arabs now. Thank God. Um. Well... <laughs> It's here back, we baby. And, yeah, we're, we're back. back. We're so back. <laughs> <laughs> we're so fucking back. Fucking um, foam finger number one, like right here. Like yeah. we got the
1: top. <laughs> <Arab's> <laughs>
2: <number one. laughs> yeah. Western conference finals, like, that's it.
0: <laughs> Damn. Yeah, we, we had a brief um issue with some of our draft picks. They didn't really uh pan out, but now we're so fucking back. Arab, uh <clears throat> Arabs and uh Islamophobia, here we are, baby. Um, I always like to joke as well that um prior to september 11th prior to 9-11 i was just a white guy dude guys i i was white i'll tell you what i didn't know the difference i mean i was only like 10 years old not that i really knew what like ethnicity was at the time i was just a white kid then september 11 happens all of a sudden is osama bin laden your uncle can you tell him not to bomb my house um, who else is involved? <laughs> How else are you involved in the, in these attacks? Saddam Hussein, do you know him? Have you met him? These are all like stupid things that I've heard before. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's just made me a better person. It's all good. I'm not like still sad about it or anything like that. It's just, you know, uh, pushed me to be the person who I am today in many respects. Um, I hope that you are, I think you are um bay to a large extent i hope you were right that people are seeing through this and that islamophobia and fear of the arab of the uh, yeah the orientalist mindset of these people can't govern themselves they're savages they're barbarians uh they need to be told what to do they don't know what's good for themselves um <clears throat> if you read any palestinian history if you read any history about the middle east at all you would know that these modernizing uh narratives were present For a long fucking time. These were not, uh, this was not a a countryside of uh, peasant farmers and backwards, blah, blah, blah. Like that existed in every, I mean, fuck, Russia was a damn backwater in the late 1800s, right? Every country had this period of time where feudal relations uh, reigned far more than capitalist relations. Um, but that does not mean that the Palestinian people, there were no Palestinian intellectuals, Palestinian activists, Palestinian workers who were looking to modernize and take their countryside, quote unquote, and all of the urban centers that were existing in Palestine. This was not just fucking sand, like a lot of white people like to think, a bunch of sand in the Middle East and camels, people, people in fucking turbans walking around. No, this was not the Middle East. Um, parts of it under the Ottoman rule... And you're talking about the 19th century, not modernized. Um, yeah, sure, that existed in pockets, but there were urban centers. There was commerce. There was movement. There were intellectuals. There was uh, there were people who were pushing to secularize. For example, it's not just again, it's not just oh, that's just the uh, Muslim world, and all they care about is maintaining maintaining. Uh, the power of Islam and Sharia law and all this stuff that you hear the, again; these are Western inventions. These are American inventions because they are useful narratives to invite you to be complacent. Yeah,
2: like part of part of confronting empires, tearing down this illusory veil in um, America, and it's such short history. You know, when you're captured in the moment, then you fall into these, like these very. A historical um, beliefs, and it, it also makes perfect sense. And you look at the nations, the countries, the regions that are currently viewed as enemies of empire, um, American empire itself, um, or just not subservient, always thorns in their side. And they are areas with the most rich, beautiful history of all of humanity Asia, West Asia. As we say, the Middle East and all of Latin America, these these regions with the most brilliant, how do I even describe it? Like just all the accomplishments, the actual the scientific marvels, the ways societies were actually run and organized um, from Southeast Asia and Korea and, of course, China and all these places. Um, but part of empires creating savages. It is creating the myth of savages, and there is no greater savage uh, than the Middle Eastern man. And so I think when we see these horrific photos of before and after what like Gaza looked like um, before Israel bombed and stuff, that itself also helps wipe away things. When you see the beauty of just what was there prior to October 7th, and this is since 2006, since the blockade, right. um, you know, and what's there. One of the most devastating videos i've seen is uh you know all the animals that have been killed in the gaza zoo and the fact that like mm-hmm. so many people think well they have a zoo why would they have a zoo also like you know that type of weird uh justification that the american mind goes well if they're under these like circumstances i don't know if a zoo is the best idea for them to have. yeah it. so if it's really a concentration
0: yeah. camp yeah. why do they have a zoo
2: yeah that type of thing you're know, like which is also part of the dehumanizing aspect exactly. of settler empire mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. If you're under siege, if you're under blockade, the correct response for our liberal minds is despair and hoping that someone will free us. That's what the liberal mind wants to see. They don't want to see people going to the zoo and trying to live a normal life under occupation. They don't want to see that. Yeah. They want to see the perfect the perfect victim.
2: That is mm-hmm. what the liberal mind wants to see. And the perfect vis- victim has to act out through mass democratic organization, a very Jacobin-like yeah. idea, rather than The only thing that has ever achieved liberation which is violent resistance and we've talked this has been one of the hallmarks right like i know if we could go back and listen to all our old episodes we'd see a trajectory of growth some of it that was already there but you know like this is like a fun podcast right we're not like one of these deep dive rev left type or whoever else is brilliant out there but we have always stressed the idea and understanding of power and we have been i know for me certainly but Forgive me if I'm speaking for y'all, but I'll do it in this instance. I feel like the both of uh, y'all have also been very on board with this idea of being accepting of violence. You can't talk Mm -hmm. about it. It gets boiled down to that. And you have to be able to see the contradictions and the beauty of violence being displayed by resistance forces. Um, Right now in Palestine, just like the the beauty of the violence in the North Vietnamese army, um, the beauty of violence in all these liberational... um, confrontations and then you juxtapose that with the violence of empires like America and you know um, these sub-imperial uh, artificial edifices constructions like Israel um, and I think you mentioned how a little earlier that you thought they could have only imposed um, you know the very cruel tactics of creating a uh, disease and shutting off water and all these types of things that they've already done before. Like when right. they've, That's true. they stop up wells and things, they've been doing this historically it's for not them new. to yeah. do that. I think what allows them or technically what does not allow them to do that outright is they're not a full fledged empire. It is literally like when you listen to all these other people like answer and when their spokesman gets out there and they always say like the american war like this is an american back thing it is an american creation we understand israel's the rabid dog that they have sicked on us right. uh, it is a dog that needs to be shot but it is the owner that needs to be killed along with it so america in vietnam did do these things an aspect of henry kissinger's like foreign policy was to just create total devastation to absolutely obliterate you know the north vietnamese it is the same thing that they did in korea to absolutely obliterate north korea all the heinous war crimes all the things that they talk about that are like are so disgusting and um you know acts of inhumanity and stuff they do it they've always done it they purposely choose to like you create this you know um this verbal linguistic construct of saying certain things like you should never do this. While well, also, you are the ones that carry it out when you're able to. Israel itself can't carry it out because they are not at the head of empire. You can't do that. You have to when you know the brilliant tactic that Hamas did by taking a set uh, <clears throat> by capturing settlers and taking them in as prisoners in order to have a leveraged chip uh, to go to table for negotiations. That is completely different than them just abducting people out the West Bank and Gaza that they've done, been doing all the time. That is literally why they did that. It is a tactic of war. And the two are not the same. Like, it is also why Israel themselves had to send in a ground force. You have to have this display. Of course, they're firebombing left and fucking right, and just killing civilians by the hundreds every hour, you know, when these
1: uh,
2: <clears throat> air raids occur. But in order to have empire support you, Biden and Europe, etc., then they have to say, like, well, we have to draw up a plan and, you know, we have to send in ground forces. Hamas is so brilliant, like their tunnel networks, like the genius of their military tactics. Do not think of people that have been not been under oppression uh, since the 1940s in the Balfour Declaration, have not been studying and learning after every war, that they have not taken the last two decades. When you look at the PFLP and all the brilliant beauty of, like, the revolutionary articles and the tactics behind it. Do you not think they haven't been learning from the North Vietnamese army in history and North Korea, et cetera, these places that have stood up and currently right
0: now, they're the tip of the spear against empire. And they learned from their own resistance struggle too. I mean, oh yeah, like they learned from the PLO, the PLO gave up the armed struggle and look what happened to the PLO. They, they, <clears throat> they were, they became kind of a laughingstock. In a way, there was no power the PLO was exerting and Hamas learned from this. They said, no, we are not giving up the armed struggle. The armed struggle, as you said before, is almost the only tool of successful revolution. And when you hear liberals back to your original point about violence, the only comment I wanted to make is that violence must be state sanctioned. If it is not violence done by a state, it is terrorism, period. It doesn't matter what it is. And that is exactly why it's so easy for the United States to label Hamas, the PIJ, the PFLP. It doesn't matter what your ideology is, folks. If you are exerting violence without a state, you're a terrorist, period. Especially if it gets in the way of our uh, bottom line, especially if it gets in the way of our interests. Perfect example. Let me ask you all, is the KKK a terrorist organization in the United States? we're all shaking our heads it's not why not that's pretty interesting isn't it um <clears throat> the violence um you could say it's not state sanctioned but for a long time there i guarantee it was there's a lot of police officers a lot of people in the state department who were in uh interlocked in this organization um all of the violence that ensued from the kkk are they, a ter- uh, are they <clears throat> excuse me are they a terrorist organization no because they do not impede the bottom line they do not impede empire and that is really what it comes down to um and also, so, sorry go ahead forgive me for jumping
2: in but i also want to put this in there and there's also the way you know some people would accuse us of like being class reductionists for only saying the bottom line racial characteristics of empire racial characteristics of the bottom line yes Like Israel, there's a reason why Israel is, you know, this uh, beacon of democracy and this exemplar of um, social rights, even though they don't exist there. And it is also because they are white. They don't just serve the imperial interest of capitalism. They serve the racial interest, uh, the ethnic and gender makeup of these constructions serves these interests that's how these things merge they blend they all operate uh together there's a reason why when you look at like the background too of this settler colonial entity that all these um zionist in the israeli like leadership are all from fucking europe when you look at like you mm-hmm. know netanyahu being from poland and all these places hungry etc
1: philly yeah totally. i know like bro like
0: fucking you know the bronx like goddamn, like we're just Z- zionism i want to be clear too i mean zionism as an ideology is rooted in christianity it is rooted in a in a westernized christianity i should say yeah um uh i'm gonna fuck up his name lord the earl of Stun stunnelsbury or shuttlesbury i can't fucking the, these english uh towns and lordships and what. it's all made up anyways i don't know the 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 fucking english um but i want to be clear that christian zionism was really the uh, brought force of what later, uh, what later Zionist ideologies uh, became. Uh, why? Because Christians had, well, these Christian Zionists, at least they had every interest in um, a Jewish homeland in in Eretz Israel, whatever you want to call it, the land of Israel. Why? Well, for their own anti-Semitic uh, beliefs. Uh, the Balfour Declaration is just the the encapsulation of all of this. Um, <clears throat> what are we going to do with these fucking Jews? That is literally what I'm not saying that. Uh, <laughs> that's what the Balfour declaration is saying. What are we going to do about these fucking Jews? Um, it is a way to deal with them. And how do we deal with them? It, it's like the Patrick star and another, uh, another SpongeBob reference, Patrick star. What if we picked it up and moved it over there? <laughs> that's what the Balfour declaration is, is how do we deal with the Jewish problem, quote-unquote? We uh, we give them a carrot on a stick. Hey, ancestral homeland, a place that's safe for Jews. What does it actually mean? Get them out of here. And on top of that, what is the ultimate goal of Christian Zionism is the return of the Messiah. And I don't want to butcher this, so I hope maybe one of you two can jump in to correct me if needed. But my understanding of such Christian Zionism is the Messiah will not return to earth until the Jews have returned to the, the homeland, the Holy Land, yeah, that oh, being yeah. Palestine. And what happens, by the way, hmm, what happens when the Jews return to the Holy Land? They are either converted to Christianity or burn in hell for eternity. That's not much of a choice for these Jewish people you seem to be looking out for so much, Christian Zionists. And it seems as though the real interest is your own. It's not for a safe place for, the oh, these poor Jewish people. Mm -mm. We want the Messiah to return. We want the, let's start the end times, baby. Here we go. Let's start the end times. That is where this was born. And what's really disconcerting, and we, we should wrap up soon maybe, what's really disconcerting is so much when you hear Israelis and Christian Zionists talk about the history, quote unquote, what are they talking about, folks? The Bible, the, his, the history coming from the Bible. I'm not shitting on theological institutions. I'm, I, if you're a Christian, if you're Muslim, if you're Jewish, I'm not shitting on you. But what I am shitting on is using the Bible as a historical, like a a real historical source of actual historical information. Even Bible scholars will dispute this, that we we can even use 10% of what's in the Bible as actual historical canon. So where does, where do many of the, uh, where does much of the history that Zionists like to point to come from it comes from the fucking Old Testament, guys. Um, you hear BB talking about what's in our Bible. He's talking about the Bible. It's it's just very interesting to me. It maybe a bit of a tangent, but it's just very interesting to me. But I did want to just say, like, what are the origins of this way of thinking? Just tying back into what you're just saying. It's the West. It's fucking yeah. white people, yeah. guys. That's
2: That's ultimately it. Like when he got up there and issued that disgusting proclamation like the children of Amalek and the children of light and all that type of shit. And that's literally holding up a megaphone to a white Western audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's creating that, you know, the others, those dirty, savage, like dark black people over there, you know, as a descriptive, not as an actual sense. And then like the good, godly, holy white. Um, It conjures up images of the crusades and holy wars and this type of thing. And ultimately like the project of Zionism was a cream, but like, you know, Herzl and everything like in the 1800s itself. Yeah. But it is the way history unfolds and the connections of, um, empires at the time, colonial constructs, um, and the various things that make up their social fabric and their social structure in this particular instance, uh, the strong emphasis of western christianity let alone what was occurring in europe um in the 20th century being world war one and world war two um and fascism coming home out of the centuries of colonialism and that being practiced uh, you know as obviously understood against a european jewish community and then as those wars ended and the creation of numerous things but let's I shouldn't say this, but let's simplify it to like Western guilt and connection with a project of empire and creating, um, a Jewish homeland, not in Germany, not in fucking Argentina, not in Uganda, places not where Uganda, of yep. them had initially, but it's mm-hmm. literally to an area that they could have gotten away with. So they did. Um, and it is therefore the conflation of modern day Israel with historical Israel and the geography of history and biblical times etc and how it actually doesn't constitute the current makeup of um israel as it stands but it is used by that right like christian um evangelical understanding certainly believes it uh western zionism attaches itself to it and therefore it creates this project of settler colonialism and for my last comment i'll say For this episode is tying that back to Kissinger and Kissinger was one of these statesmen who maybe not in the deep context of today and what is occurring in occupied Palestine um, and the genocide and the conflict going on and therefore connected to the conflicts that occurred within the period of 1950s through the 1970s when Kissinger had power That he was directly involved in this type of zionist project but the servants of empire uh you know the handmaidens of empire operate in such a way that it has led to the historical moment and kissinger's role in this is not to be downplayed it is not to understand him as a singular mastermind it is not to understand him as a brilliant statesman it is just to understand him as a henchman and a stooge who In history had very discernible understandable actions that led to destruction in the region and itself can be connected to the devastation that we're seeing uh unfold today
0: well said my friend great place to leave leave things off um unless segment you have something to add something to round out
1: no i mean i think for all the lives just if the conversation about <laughs> your <violence>, lives
0: <laughs> listen up
1: conversation about like violence makes you uncomfortable, I think it's like worth noting that, like it, it nonviolent resistance is not something that like has not been done by Palestinians to get to try to gain some degree of like liberation, right? Like it, as all the fucking great marches of return, like how many people died, how many people were wounded, were completely amputated in you know twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. In peaceful
0: protests. No. And, th- and that's so like, how the Intifada, each Intifada started, was peaceful protest. Right. <laughs> and the Israeli soldiers, the IOF, they literally just fired at will or shot to disable or whatever the case was. But it was not, the Intifada at least, was not an initially violent protest.
1: And so if you can historically kind of see the heroism and courage of all these different liberation struggles, whether it's in Korea or Cambodia or Vietnam, um, and our country is complicity and like active genocide, really, in all these other places, like you kind of have to see that parallel in, in Palestine now.
2: Absolutely. I, you said that in a. So important. So I actually do want to add something to that. And it's this thought that I've had it tons of times before, but of course been on my mind lately is the way um, resistance is commodified through American and Western popular culture. And it leads us to this point where people sit here and they consume resistance as entertainment. They see it in these very cheesy displays of resistance, which the creators of these displays will often tell you there's a historical parallel for it. Like George Lucas talking about how like literally the rebel forces based off of the Vietnamese resistance Um, and all these other displays, whether you see it in fucking comic book movies or whatever, but it's just this idea like the Hunger Games, shit like that, right? People see these things. They see two sides, one being an opposition and an opposition that is so heavy-handedly relatable, to capitalism uh to genocidal empires and then they see resistance forces um and people placed in these roles and they're heroic they support it they buy all the merchandise and of course it's you know very important also to fucking love like the sith lords and shit like that but overall people understand the message you love seeing the good guys win and then these very same people oftentimes which we uh derogatorily and pejoratively describe as liberals become so ham-fisted with the current day realities of resistance and they don't support it or they support it with all their uh, conditions and their caveats resistance itself cannot be anything that i don't deem to be acceptable which itself is a sense of chauvinism and supremacy in its own four ways western supremacy white supremacy it, it occurs within these you know um these particular arguments when they're made by Uh, certain individuals but overall it's this idea that resistance is only acceptable when it is palatable to me and the actual people on the ground who live through these material conditions the actual real life superheroes who display the most heroic courageous acts of resistance are now starting to say fuck you fall in line or we don't care that is literally what palestinians are doing the most Beautiful display where it's like if the whole world is against us, if these comprador uh, Gulf states like Saudi Arabia and UAE and Qatar and Oman and Bahrain, if they've sit sat there and sold them soul like sold their souls to Western commercial interest and therefore capitalism and the, at the behest of developing their own material uh, societies, um, and not displaying the courage and the brotherhood of Muslim nations, of uh, displaying that in the sense of coming to the aid of <clears throat> of force of people being oppressed like uh president rossi said like literally this morning that like baked into the constitution of iran is the idea that they will support the oppressed people of palestine that is literally like right there it is not a footnote it is part of the constitution and that's not like for anyone that's going to be like oh my god you're falling in love with iran and that t-. shut the fuck up <laughs> we're just we're talking about this shit okay i really don't give a fuck we're talking about supporting resistance forces so if you can sit there and consume acts of resistance in your entertainment but cannot sit there and support the courageous acts of resistance that occur currently the very things that like history in the near future will tell and write beautifully about as american empire falls and it is written about as the heinous uh satanic monster that it is and as these forces of good that are rising up against it if you can't consume that in that type of fashion in which i just spoke get your head out of your ass and start to understand these things have some deep self-reflection on the matter this isn't a come to jesus moment this isn't someone on high This is just regular like i'd be talking to my friends like this i've had to do it at some point in my life come to terms with this grow and develop into this understanding um And I hope anyone uh, anyone that listens to us hears it from that perspective. Be comfortable with righteous violence. Become comfortable with justice that occurs in violence through a force of liberation. And please pick away at the unique liberal sensibilities that, you know, we're kind of indoctrinated into. Support people the most oppressed when they tell you to in the way that they tell you to. It's that plain and simple.
0: Yes, sir. Haitian revolution, I think. um, Well, do we even need to say anything besides that? We can say Algeria. Shit, we can say the American revolution. All the fucking liberals who are hand-wringing. Well, our own revolution, and dare I say our, I wasn't there. But like the American revolution itself, would it have been successful if it were a nonviolent peace movement? Ask yourselves, look inward, and give other nations, other peoples that same grace, people who are fighting a resistance movement. It's not that violence is the only way, it is that it's probably necessary at some point. And very rarely do nonviolent movements alone uh, succeed. I I really can't think of one example. Not even Gandhi people like to point to that one that was not purely a peaceful movement there was VHS. a lot of fucking fighting going on with the british raj in, well, in india at that point like don't delude yourselves
1: well you fucking remember to talk about kissinger allende they did yes. vote him in look what yeah. happened
0: absolutely yeah. perfect there you go
2: and look at so- like historically like castor literally told him at the beginning <laughs> yeah, of his administration, like, get your,
0: bro. yeah, get
2: your shit together, bro. Like, arm the fuck up. Yeah. Like, we have to be authoritarian. That's literally <laughs> what we need to do.
0: He's pointing at the political compass. He's like, dog, we need to be top left. Trust me, man. <laughs> this is real life. Oh, my God. Uh well yeah that's that's a good place to to leave it we went way over what we thought we were going to but that means it was a good episode clearly that's always the the reasoning I give uh Sigmund Bay thank you very much um this has been M and M like I said we're planning a uh, kind of deeper dive Israel Palestine uh, episode. Hopefully releasing that in the coming weeks. hope you enjoy this one. In the meantime, uh, rest and piss, Bozo. Never forget. Never forget every day. If you're doing your daily affirmations, if you're doing kind of your uh, mantras or whatever it is, just throw something about Kissinger in there. I feel like that's something that's going to lift the left up. Uh, we need, God damn, did we need a W, guys. Golly, did we need a fucking W. And this, this might serve as a catalyst. I'm hoping at least because um, boy, did we need this one.
1: And uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, or, yeah, Sandra Day Connor died,
0: right? I didn't hear that. Th- Wait, today? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear that. I thought she had been dead. She died today. <laughs> no, she been dead. <laughs>
1: December 1st. <laughs>
0: oh, shit. Oh, well, really? I didn't, I mean, mind, I was. That was
1: two days ago. <laughs>
0: I'm too busy. I'm still on my bender celebrating Kissinger, so that's probably why I didn't hear about yeah. it
1: well no evil lasts a hundred years so fuck you henry kissinger
0: that's it that's a good way to close fuck you henry kissinger burn in hell you goddamn monster you piece of fucking shit bloodthirsty psychopath i cannot wait um if i am lucky enough to join you in hell someday i can't wait to meet you and uh Smoking we'll that on that yahoo pack soon pack <laughs> <laughs> watch pack watch folks <laughs> okay Crab that shit up <laughs> yeah they're down there dancing side i have no doubt side. all right guys uh thanks for listening and see you see you soon